If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Um, Please excuse my voice, I have yet another cold, but I wanted to make sure to record the final episode of 2022 um, and share with you three commitments that I made and mostly kept this past fall. So let's just dig right in because I don't know how long my voice is going to last. All right, so my first commitment, I decided I was not going to work, when I say much, outside my contract hours. So, and and for many of you, this might seem like a dream, and for some of you, this is what you're already doing. And I've been in both places. Like now, I am really primarily working within, um, I worked within those contract hours this past fall, and, um, but I've also been the other person. So when I first started teaching, so this was before I had kids, obviously, um, I, well, I guess not obviously, but before I had kids, uh, I was, you know, I was very possibly like the first teacher in the building. Um, and I was definitely one of the last few to leave. I regularly arrived at school like well before seven, honestly, sometimes like 6.30, maybe even earlier. And my start time was not until 8.10. And I typically left school, you know, after 5.30 or even six o'clock. It would not be surprising for me to spend a weekend day or even both days at Panera or Starbucks, you know, coffee shops, places like that, grading, planning. I was lugging my school materials back and forth pretty much every day. And, you know, like most teachers, my summer breaks were filled with just professional development and learning. And and some of it was awesome. Like I went to San Diego. I, um... I can't remember what else I did, but I did a lot of different like workshops and they were really cool experiences, right? So it wasn't like bad stuff. But I was also, you know, course planning to get a jump start that honestly never seemed to last, Um, preparing my classroom, decorating, doing all of those things that I could do over the summer. And again, this might totally sound normal to you, or it, it even might sound like a shorter work day than what you're typically putting in. And I'm not trying to make this into like who works the longest contest because that's nothing to be, I don't know, proud of. Like, But my point is that I was, I was just an overachiever teacher who worked well beyond my contract hours. And I thought that's what it had to be. Now, when I, when I had kids, I, these work behaviors did begin to shift. You know, I started coming in a bit later. It just 
what's work it was what worked out with like our daycare situation with getting my kids ready in the morning um or my child ready in the morning and I was leaving a bit earlier from school um you know I had to relieve a babysitter things like that but I was still bringing work home and I was still working on the weekends and I still filled my my summers with some degree of schoolwork you know I honestly, I just didn't know how to set boundaries around my work time. And and so I felt like I really needed to do it all. And that mindset, that thinking was partly the reason I decided to leave the classroom when my second child was born. Um, I just couldn't really envision being a teacher without the extra hours and the work and the stress. I, I mean, I literally would tell people like, I can't be the teacher I want to be and be a parent. And so I... I didn't go back after my second child was born. Now, I did obviously do other things, like I explore science, but um, because, you know, not working didn't seem like it fills my soul to work. I enjoy what I do, but I just didn't think I could do, I could be a teacher and, and not have all of that extra work time, right? Okay, so Fast forward five years, I'm back in the classroom. I now have three kids. My oldest is seven. My middle child is five. My youngest is three. And this time I decided it was going to be different. You know, I missed being in the classroom. I missed having students. I missed building relationships. I did some subbing and it didn't quite fill the void of like knowing your students and having that community. And so I decided to go back to the classroom this year. Now, transitioning into my life as a work from home mother, you know, and and as an entrepreneur, you know, starting I Explore Science came with a ton of personal development and growth for me over the last five years. So we're talking about since my middle child was born, moving into that role and doing all of the learning and honestly, a lot of healing um, from you know, my sister's death from become, you know, the transition of becoming a mother, um, just all of the baggage that we carry from our childhood. Like even when you have a great childhood, I, have, I had a wonderful childhood, but like my parents did their best, but, but we all have things, right? I did so much growth and healing over the last five years. And I learned a lot about what, what self-care really is, um, about living life as a, at a different speed, uh, about setting boundaries and honoring my own needs. Um, I've learned and I'm still learning to give myself grace and rest when I need it. I am so bad at resting, but I try Um, to honor my energy levels and just flow with them and to recognize if not fully let go of my like people pleasing inclinations and behaviors. I've learned to seek out what's really important. And I definitely would say I've like reevaluated what's important. So at the start of this school year, I really committed to taking these lessons with me back into the classroom during this chapter of my life. And it means I I really limited the work I did in my off hours. It meant that like most days I was leaving within 10 to 15 minutes of dismissal. And I'll be honest, I, sometimes it felt uncomfortable um, being one of the first people out of the buildings. Again, that's my people-pleasing nature. Um, even if I didn't have anything I needed to stay for, it kind of felt weird. Um, and I... I felt like there was a degree of judgment and I don't think there was. I think I just, it was in my head. It was me being that people pleaser, right? Um, it also meant that most days I wasn't coming in more than 20 to 30 minutes before the start of the day. And sometimes I was coming in literally at eight o'clock when my students were also walking in because some mornings, that's just how our morning flowed. Um, now I do like a little bit of alone time in the morning, so it's actually easier to have that alone time at school. So coming in 30 minutes early wasn't a bad thing for me. It gave me time to just be alone and settle and hang out. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't coming in at the crack of dawn anymore. 
And it meant that I wasn't bringing very much work home on the weekends. And honestly, like when I did bring work home, I rarely touched it, Um, which is probably a good thing. But I still had that like inclination that I should bring this home. I should do it over the weekend. Now, if you are wondering, how is that possible? I want to acknowledge a few things and I want to give you some strategies to potentially make this work for you. I'm not going to say that it's going to work in every situation and every position and every for every person. Um, I I mean, I can't, I don't know what your situation is, but maybe there's some things that you can draw from to cut down on the work that you're doing outside of your contract hours. Okay. So first of all, I need to acknowledge, I do have an appropriate amount of prep time. I was teaching two courses this fall, you know, several sections, but two preps in total. Right. And I had, um, so some science and then I had an environmental class. So, and I had roughly 45 minutes each day without students to do that. I had a prep period. I also supervised like a 30-minute study hall, which gave me some time to do some like low concentration work if my students did need, didn't need help with some science things during that time. So in terms of planning, I had a good situation and I recognize that. Um, in Pennsylvania, we're lucky that most of our schools have, have unions and have protected planning time. And so, you know, I took advantage of that. I also am lucky that I had, or fortunate I should say, that I had a curriculum to draw from. I've This was actually the first year I ever had a curriculum, so it was a little bit weird. My curriculum was not perfect. I've definitely shared about that in, in my weekly emails. And so I did spend a lot of time, you know, adapting to better engage my students with phenomena or to better integrate more scientific and engineering practices, to make it more hands-on, to restructure lessons to align toward a more small group instruction and collaborative learning structure as opposed to teacher-led experiences, just because that's my own preference. Um, But I did have something to draw from, so I didn't have to create everything from scratch. And that obviously made a huge deal. Um, Now, all that said, like, I do know that if I wasn't setting some boundaries around my own work time, I definitely could have carried over, like, what needs to be done during the day. And I put quotes on needs to be done because a lot of times what we think needs to be done doesn't actually need to be done. But anyway, I definitely could have carried that over into my evenings and weekends if I wasn't making an effort to like not do that. But I decided I wasn't going to. So I didn't bring significant amounts of things home. Um, You know, my to-do list sometimes was just like collect creek water for water testing or like bring in this supply or that supply. I did some laminating and cutting, you know. I um, I I made some things at home when I felt like it. But in general, I really tried to leave work at work as much as possible. Now... Here's some of the trade-offs and here's some of the strategies that you can dig into if you're able to. So in order to successfully leave work at work, it meant that I had to carefully utilize the resources I already had available or could obtain easily. And I had to be content with less than perfect. You know, maybe I had a lab or an activity or a worksheet or I could find one online that wasn't exactly how I would have designed it. But oh well, sometimes good is good enough. And I had to, you know, embrace that. So to find some of those resources, I was frequently on sites like Teachers Pay Teachers, Better Lesson, TED-Ed, all of those science literacy sites that I shared a few weeks ago on the podcast. And honestly, just like good old Google searching. Um, I found those resources and I used them as is. I didn't spend time tweaking them or changing them. I just went with it. I also... Um, And honestly, the trade-off of spending a couple bucks on a Teachers Pay Teachers product that meant I didn't have to like revamp a lesson or something like that, I'm okay with that. Um, And I, again, am in a position that 
that I, that I have the flexibility to do that. But there are a lot of great free resources. Honestly, I always start my TPT searches, searches with free resources. Um, and usually I can find something, again, that works. Might not be my favorite, but it works. I also really focus on shifting work to my students. So that might be self-reflection instead of official grading. It might be students self-correcting instead of me grading or correcting. Um, or even just straight up grading. Like sometimes they could check their own work and turn it in and I would just give it a quick once over and that was, you know, the grade. It could also be asking students to help with preparing materials for a lab. So it's amazing what one or two helpers can get done during, you know, um, a study hall period or at the end of the day when they have a few minutes with your, you know, my homeroom or whatever. I didn't have to prepare everything myself. Even during class, leaving some of the preparation and definitely leaving the cleanup to students helped build their independence and their um, responsibility and also saved me time. Um, I also spent some time creating templates that I could use again and again. So a rubric to grade notebooks or a rubric to grade CER paragraphs or a rubric to grade like literally everything. I don't know, generic projects or um, exit ticket slips, anything like that. Literally, rubrics are amazing. Make them. Um, I also created rubrics and like um, tools, you could say, for students doing self-reflection or self-scoring, for like peer grading organizers, um, bell ringer worksheets so, we, so that we just use the same bell ringer worksheet for like an entire, you know, three weeks or two weeks instead of trying to have students turn something in every single day. Um, exit slips, ticket slips. So again, you know, here's a, here I give them the question or the prompt, they write their answer and there's like a small little rubric or scoring guide on the side. Um, you can make templates for like literally everything, your agenda slides, your um, Google forms, like whatever, universal tools like this make save so much time. So investing my time in doing that was ideal. Even investing my time in creating some ongoing activities that my students, that I could fall back on if we had a little bit of extra time and my students needed some sort of meaningful work to do, things like bell ringers or science, um, sci like a thing that focuses on the science and engineering practices, like a generic data analysis sheet that I could pair with any type of data set or a generic um, science reading literacy strategy or article analysis kind of thing. Teaching my students text annotations and giving them a rubric for it as well as a tool to help them that could be paired with any scientific article made for easy activities that I could fill in if we finished something early and I didn't have time to plan the next section or the next activity. By shifting my work to students and um, creating these like universal templates that I could use again and again, I could save myself time on preparation and grading um, and like just those on the fly things that sometimes we need to do. Lastly, I really was careful in picking and choosing what I decided to collect, grade, and assess. And I'm going to share some thoughts on that um, further on, but that's, that's my point three. So I did not collect, grade, and assess everything. I was very selective about what I did, and so that really, really limited the amount of time I had to spend in grading. One of the other commitments, and I'm going to come back to grading, but one of the other commitments I decided to do is that I was not going to rush through my curriculum to get it covered. 
So honestly, I remember looking back at the calendar in like early October, feeling like we had just started the school year and and also suddenly realizing that I had like one month left in the first quarter. My first environmental course, my one environmental course was like going to be over at the end of the quarter. It was a, a, an elective that we were switching every single quarter. So second quarter, I would have it again, but with different students. Um, and I just started to feel this like pressure of moving faster to cover it all. And yes, I still feel that pressure myself, even though I'm committed to the idea that like content is not king and it's, it's okay. Like it's not about getting through it all or surface covering it all. Right. But like, even though I don't believe that these mindsets are are things that I still have absorbed and I've adhered to for years and years and it's so easy for them to creep back in. So I started to feel that pressure and I knew I needed to do something about it. So here's what I did. Like, and this may work for you if you are feeling that pressure too, but you also agree that content isn't king and your students' learning is most important. And learning is not just about the content, but it's also about the three, those other dimensions, right? The practices, the cross-cutting concepts, and I would say even the social and emotional growth that our students need to be going through, like teaching our whole, the whole child, right? So first, I remind myself that, again, it's not all about the covering the content. We have to shift our mindset about that one, and it's just a constant battle. So I remind myself that the learning we were doing now, yes, it was taking a bit longer. I was teaching them how to do text annotations, um, as well as using data analysis strategy that I find really helpful, called like what I see, what it means. Um, and those building those skills lengthened activities that would have taken less time otherwise. But the Spending the time doing it right, right now, was going to allow the same activities in future units to take less time. So that was the trade-off I was, I was going with now. And I had to remind myself of that. And moreover, I had to remind myself that those skills are just as important as the ecology concepts we were learning and that my students, was go- my students were going to benefit from them, from learning how to do annotations and how to read text carefully, from learning how to analyze data and how to critically think about it and, and draw conclusions from it. Those things were important, period. And those skills, spending time on those skills was worth the time that it took. So I had to just give myself a little reset and a little pep talk and a reminder about that. I then took a more practical approach and reviewed my curriculum map, scope and sequence, whatever you want to call it, um, where I jotted down kind of roughly when I intended to teach each unit. Um, And so taking a moment to look on my calendar and realize that I actually wasn't terribly behind and that all of the things had their own place and time during the school year calmed down some of those anxieties for me. And then finally, I took some time to review and map out the rest of the unit just to see that like, yes, I could still finish this on, you know, roughly on time. And, and it gave me a chance to like reflect on what was ahead and consider what I could skip if I found the unit dragging on. So what activities are, you know, less important that I could just nix? What was the core, what was core to the like DCI and the performance expectation? And so creating a roadmap for the rest of the unit was likewise helpful in easing some of that pressure for me. Now, if you are also feeling that pressure to rush through, and rushing in any situation is a phenomenon that causes stress. It creates stress for us. Whether you're rushing your kids out the door and it leads you to be snappy and upset and angry and whatever, or you're trying to rush through content or you're rushing through a lesson and, again, it it creates that stress for you in your classroom, I would encourage you to 
First of all, evaluate if you truly are behind. Because despite feeling behind, I realized that actually I was okay. I wasn't as you know, behind as I thought I was. Number two, connect, consider what's most important and accept that it's okay if not everything gets done. Not all of those things get done. Um, there's this analogy. I have no idea who said it now. I heard it on a podcast. And it's we are all juggling all of these balls all the time. And some of the balls are going to break or you're going to drop some of the balls at some time or another. That's literally just life. But there are some balls that are glass that you don't want to break. And those are the really important things. And there are some balls that are, I don't know, rubber and they'll just bounce. Like who cares? They'll be fine. So the goal is that you don't drop the glass balls, the really important priority things. And sometimes it's okay if in keeping those glass balls afloat, you drop the rubber ones. You go from five balls to three balls or one ball because that's what's important. So in your classroom, what are the rubber balls that it's okay if you don't cover this concept. It's okay if you don't do this activity. It's okay if you don't get to it or decide to nix it or just it didn't go well and you don't have time to reteach it. And then there are the other things in our classroom that are priority. And those are the ones you don't want to drop. So figure out what's most important and then give yourself permission to drop the rubber balls, to let go of the not so important things. And then along those lines, assess how you're spending your class time and decide if those things are worth it. So maybe you're spending a lot of time on vocabulary review or prepping before every assessment or um, doing cutting and pasting for an interactive notebook. Maybe you could integrate those same, like you want students to practice with the vocabulary. Maybe you could integrate that into a different, more relevant activity that would also save you time. Like maybe your students um, wrote a CER or developed a model to explain a phenomenon. And instead of, you know, giving them a new assignment about vocabulary, maybe you ask your students to reflect on their existing work, cutting down your grading, and include an assignment to add vocabulary into that work. So you can then have them practice vocabulary. You can see what vocabulary they understand and see it in context. And you can cut down on your own grading as they do a self-reflection and score their own work. Um, So thinking about how we're spending class time and how we can make it more effective or utilize it better can be a way to help you move more quickly through material. And also save you time keeping your work within those contractual hours, right? Because when you save time, you can cut down on the things you have to do outside of your work hours. Um, Along those lines, you can think about your, how you're spending your class time in terms of the management and procedures. And maybe you're finding classroom management is something you're struggling with, or the, um, there's a lack of efficiency in getting things done that maybe a procedure could solve. How can you tweak your procedures or your classroom management approaches to reduce wasted time? And those things, of course, up front are going to cost you some time teaching and practicing a new procedure, resetting your classroom climate, or establishing a more positive classroom culture may cost you time up front if you didn't do those things already, but in the long run, it saves you time. So again, it's it's figuring out which balls are most important. And some of sometimes those balls in the moment are the glass ones and the content has to take a, a backseat. Now, the third commitment that I made was that I was not going to rely on grades as motivation. 
Um, so this is one that while I strongly believe in this position, I sometimes find myself slipping back into old mindsets and approaches. I would start to think about saying like, you need to finish this and get it turned in or you'll be losing points. Or I'm going to have to enter a zero for the assignment because you haven't done a thing today. And, you know, whether or not those statements are true, I'm, I'm generally anti-zeros, but that's not what this, this podcast is about. Um, the fact that those are threats that come to my mind when I'm in a situation where my students need motivation are just more evidence that so much garbage from our own educational experience has been left in our brains. Threats and fear just don't work. They are not effective motivators long-term, and they aren't healthy motivators for our students. I believe that my goal as an educator is to help students find the motivation within with some doses of external. Sure, we all we all are motivated to an extent by external rewards and things like that. Um, but I want them to find the motivation within so that they're still motivated to do their best, to keep on trying, to work at their goals, even when someone isn't holding a threat above their heads. So with that in mind, I've worked really hard to stop myself from saying those things and instead rely on other strategies that I have in my toolbox, like checking in with a student to see what I can do to help them get started, fostering buy-in and curiosity from the get-go. You know, that's where your great anchor phenomena and your effective anchor experiences come in. Um, Incorporating choice as a motivating factor, relying on those, um, those relationships and how we can work together with students to accomplish something. You know, motivation and engagement is something that we can really layer in. Like building trust, it's not one big thing that works for everyone. And instead, it's something that we layer to foster that intrinsic motivation. We start out with our relationships in our classroom culture. We add in the curiosity and the student questioning and and, and then we finally top it off with opportunities for student choice and really true ownership and agency in our classroom. And by layering our approach to engagement, we don't need to rely on things like grades to motivate our students. And just to clarify, I am not saying you need to discourage grades as a motivator. Obviously, there are some students who will respond to working hard to earn a higher grade, and that is great for them. But I am doing my best to not rely on that to get students working and learning because I I don't want my judgment to be the thing that motivates my students. Now, interestingly, this approach to not rely on grades has actually saved me a significant amount of time, which has allowed me to keep my work within contract hours. If you're wondering how, well, it's pretty simple, but when grades are not being used as a motivator, I can be super selective about what I grade. And I did not have to spend a ton of time on assignments that I honestly would just give participation points to, or I have to, you know, check and review every worksheet or every Um, activity that we completed. Instead, I focused on assessing notebooks periodically, so choosing just like a page or two that represented student learning to check in on, and of course using a rubric to do that. Um, Grading a handful of questions on an assignment instead of checking everything. And those, the questions that I selected were really those that would give me insight into student understanding and learning. Um, And oftentimes I didn't even collect activities at all. I just assigned students a Google question following an activity that really probed into their learning. And all I had to do was then grade that one question quickly and easily on Google Classroom. It was like the biggest time saver of all. It was my favorite way to check in on students' understanding and quickly put in a grade. 
And, and I mean, they couldn't answer it well if they didn't do the activity. So it was also a way to honestly kind of keep them accountable without relying on, you know, threats of grades to keep them accountable. I really, you know, students really don't need to answer 30 questions to demonstrate their learning. When you're focusing on phenomena and, you know, applying what students have learned to a new situation, a few questions can do the trick just as well as like a 30 point multiple choice question thing. Now, grading became even easier when I learned a trick on teacher Instagram, which was creating a comment bank on Google Documents. And honestly, I did that back at the beginning of the school year, so I can't remember how I did it, but I figured out how to do it. Um, and I'm sure you can if you give it a little Google. But it allowed me to give some feedback quickly and easily and then, you know, customize feedback when necessary. I found myself, like, writing the same responses to student work, like, you know, this is a good start to evidence, but I wish you had added more specific um, numbers or something. You know, instead of having to type that on every student's work, I could just click on the comment bank and then I could also add customizable comments when necessary. That was a, a really big game changer in uh, assessing student work on in Google Classroom. I also um, used my fair share of Google Forms to check in on understanding as well. So I would pair, you know, auto grading, multiple choice type of questions with open-ended responses. Like again, one or two does the trick. And because it scored half of it and I only had to check in on one or two and then it posted it to my grade book, it was just, again, a wonderful, quick grading experience. So because I was not using grades to motivate my students or to keep them accountable for doing the work, I could really be selective about my grading and I cut down on a ton of grading time. And again, I, I really shifted, tried to shift ownership to my students in focusing a lot on reflection and self-grading and using rubrics on all of that as well. Now, changing our practices, changing our classrooms and our students' experiences as learners and our education system as a whole, it really begins with changing our mindsets. It begins with committing to our values and our evolving ideas in both theory and in action. And I know how easy it is to fall back into our old habits and our ways of thinking. Like, I experienced that totally full on this fall. I experienced that when, my, when I'm, like, interacting with my own kids about their school experience. You know, it's ingrained in us. But I also know that it does feel good to push back against those and know you're making change and you're breaking cycles in our education system, even if it's just in that moment or just in your classroom. So in, inside our own spaces, in our minds, and in our classrooms, we can actually be pretty powerful when we decide to be. So I guess I, I want to challenge you to consider, as this calendar year draws to an end, what changes will you commit to for the rest of this year? And, you know, what strategies might help you hold yourself to those commitments? And that brings us basically to the end of our last episode of 2022. For the next few weeks, I'm going to be spending time with my family and enjoying the holidays. Erin and I will be back with new episodes in 2023, and we really look forward to continuing to connect with you then. Um, before I sign off today, though, I do want to share a little bit of a life update. So, you know, obviously I've been sharing a lot about my time in the classroom. This fall, I went back into the classroom teaching seventh grade science, yet as I settled into my new position, I... It wasn't quite what I, I thought it was going to be. I found the school's culture wasn't what I had expected, and it was struggling to live up to its own values and mission and vision. 
you know, the mission and the vision that had really drawn me to it. And like many schools rebounding from the last few years, the sense of community amongst teachers and students and between teachers and between students, um, the the caring day-to-day interactions, the place for joy in the classroom and in the school, it just it just wasn't it's just not quite there. There's a lot of teachers that are struggling and there's a lot of challenges that haven't been effectively addressed again because it's been such difficult years and I I don't want to say any of this as a judgment like I I it's hard but it wasn't what I was expecting and what I wanted and I just found myself increasingly unhappy with the culture that I had joined and you know for a while for a few months I I and I I gotta say I realized this pretty early on but for a while I, I told myself that I was still making an impact in my own classroom and I love my students and I love my teaching moments, but everything else just felt kind of uncomfortable and I felt like I was fighting against this like larger tide that I could not win against. So it was a struggle for a few months this fall. Even as like things were going really well within my classroom, it didn't feel so good walking through the doors every day. So I, I spoke up. I, um, it was terrifying. It was anxiety-inducing. It was very difficult. Um, I don't like confrontation. But I spoke up. And, um, and as a result of that, in mid-November, a new opportunity actually opened up for me. So this month, December, I have actually transitioned into a new role at my school. I am now serving as the interim dean of students. So I'm not in my seventh grade science classroom anymore. Um, now I get to work with all of the school and all of the students and all of the teachers. And it's really exciting. Um, my, you know, despite the like terrifying conversations that I had to have in, you know, end of October, early November, my principal's response to like my speaking out was basically, you know, well, help me change it. You know, I had concerns about the culture. Her response was, well, help me change it. So it's been an incredibly wild ride. Um, and the challenge of making change at an organizational level is new and daunting, but so far, you know, I'm, I'm like two weeks in, um, by the time this airs, I guess three weeks, um, I'm really loving it. And I have to say like, it, this is, this is my mission, transforming our educational spaces into places where our students can be safe to learn and lead and supporting teachers in doing that. That's, that's where I, my work has been leading me the last, um, I would say probably two years, but definitely the last several months, the last six months, um, 12 months maybe. And while the transition to three-dimensional science teaching brought me into this arena, um, and honestly, having my own kids and evolving as a parent also has, has had a huge impact in that. But like, I've realized, you know, science is not the only place where these spaces are needed. Although, of course, science classrooms are still my favorite places to be. It's really important that our schools as a whole become these spaces. You know, if we want our students to learn, we need to create environments where that is possible. And you can refer back to all that brain science stuff that I love sharing with you and that I've shared again and again on this podcast. Um, and 
All teachers really need support in making that happen. So if you're wondering, well, what does that mean for I Explore Science or this podcast? Like, it's not going anywhere. Um, I Explore Science is, you know, science is still my favorite place to be, and it's where I feel most comfortable. You know, I have taught social studies. I actually have taught ELA. I have not done so in years. Once I got into science, that was where I, I stay. I stayed, you know. So my area of expertise is certainly still in student-driven science learning, um, but Within that sphere, I find myself more and more being drawn into conversations and teaching on establishing the classroom cultures that make student-driven learning possible because all of these wonderful science things cannot happen without the strong cultures, without building our students' skills. So I've really found my work evolving from primarily teaching about the NGSS and three-dimensional learning to actually supporting teachers in creating classroom communities where their students are able to engage in deep learning and step into leadership and ownership and responsibility. And again, to do that, it requires those cultural shifts, the relationships between students and teachers and amongst students, the classroom procedures and approaches to management, how we're building our students up to take on these roles. Like they don't have, they don't come to us with these skills. So how we're building those skills. It includes all of that. It requires all of that. And of course, it also requires the curricular materials and the instructional strategies that I've been sharing with you and that I've been developing for the last you know, five years, the, the things that support students' critical thinking and their content understanding and their skill mastery. It, it includes all of that, right? So I'm still figuring out what it's going to look like on my end. I've been deep in the curricular materials and the instructional strategies, and I'm finding myself moving more and more into like the cultural shifts. But there's also a lot of fuzziness. I don't know where I'm going exactly, but I do know that, you know, ice or science is not going anywhere. I am still here. We are evolving. So I definitely hope you'll continue to hang on for this new adventure. Um, as I said, episodes will be back in January, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And I'll also be running a Reset Your Classroom Climate Challenge um, to help you kick off your new year or maybe your new quarter, what you know, whatever. Um, with a fresh approach and, you know, a little touch of some warm fuzzies to to build that positive classroom environment and classroom climate. Um, so keep your eyes out from that, for that after the new year in uh, 2023. Thank you so much for being a listener here in 2022. We have loved sharing our thoughts and learnings and knowledge with you, and we will catch you in 2023. Have a good rest of your year. Um, rest up and um, have a wonderful break. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.